All right, it is the week of September 5th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick OJ, and today we're going to talk about Nate Diaz launching his own fight promotion. The UFC fan favorite is slated to launch Real Fight Incorporated, and it's a very interesting time considering that Diaz is coming to the end of his UFC contract when he fights Hamzat Jamayev this weekend at UFC 279. We'll break all that down, lots to unpack and discuss with that. Next, we've got to talk about Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva. The fight has been formally announced for late October in Arizona, and it's definitely Paul's toughest test. Is it the right business move that Paul called out Silva, and they're doing this fight now, especially with the way Silva has looked? We'll break that down. Then we're going to go over our quick hit section with a couple of stories that we've got. And lastly, we're going to talk about why controversy sells specifically in combat sports and MMA. Lots of drama this past week in the combat sports. If you call pro wrestling combat sports too, even more drama. If not, still you've got the 279 press conference. All of that seems to sell really well, seems to heighten the buzz. Why is that? We're going to break that down with some interesting information from some business professors as well as studies that have been done. So with that in mind, timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so first up on today's show, we've got to talk about Nathaniel Diaz applying for a promoter's license in California to launch Real Fight Inc., which is his own MMA promotion. Uh, According to a statement by Team Diaz, the new venture has no bearing on his status as a fighter, where he will continue to be very active. Real Fight Inc. is his expansion into the business side of the sport, where he has been a fixture for close to 20 years. So no timetable on when the first event will be or how involved Diaz will be, if he's going to be in the day-to-day operations of it or whatnot. But... This isn't a super surprising move. Um, We've seen this become a new trend in combat sports, right? Especially MMA. You do have Habib buying Eagle FC, and that's probably the biggest example of this, right? Because he signed some bigger names. It's now sort of a feeder league, gaining a little bit of, you know, more shine and, and starting to establish itself as a tier right below, you know, the UFC, Bellator, PFL, one, all that. Whereas we've also seen Jorge Masvidal, right, form his own league. Uh, Cerrone, Cowboy Fights, his own league. I want to say Cyborg has also done it as well. Um, I have to look that up. I'm pretty sure she has. It's kind of a natural progression now. I think fighters have realized that the regional market and the kind of minor leagues of MMA are still wide open, right? There is not any one company that dominates that. You've got a couple of the bigger ones who are feeding the UFC and Bellator and others big stars. Uh, LFA is probably the biggest, in my opinion, just in terms of the star power they kind of churn out and they're becoming more global now, holding events more often uh, internationally. But they've they've been, you know, national in the U.S. for a while as well. Uh, you've got, I don't want to say Aries FC yet. They're starting to make a run at it, but where the UFC is signing some of their guys, but it's not nearly as big as LFA. Um, you know, it, it's... There are a lot of promotions out there that on the regional scene have some name and some following. Cage Warriors might be, you know, the best known in the UK, but no one promotion has cornered even their own home market, right? I mean, Cage Warriors might be the exception there. Um, I know there's one I'm missing too, and it's driving me nuts. And if I think of it, I will let you know, but we're, we're not going to edit this. We're going to keep going. Um, there's another regional one that kind of dominates and it's, it's driving me wild comment. If you remember what it is. Um, but there's plenty of room, plenty of room for new promotions to come in and enter the market at that level in the minor league MMA promotion level. There's not a ton of money in it, right? The margins in, you know, the triple A's of MMA are far, far smaller than when you get to the bigger leagues. 
Uh, and even in the bigger leagues, we know there's only like two or three companies that are actually profitable. Really only two off the top of my head, and that's Bellator and the UFC. In, in the smaller leagues, you have to be profitable to an extent. Um, you can get away with with not with being in the red and and for a bit, but it's not the kind of debt that we're seeing one or PFL rack up, right? Um, more so one. Uh, but it, you mostly have to make it work because you're not going to have a ton of investors and a ton of seed money and all this other stuff that you'll find when you're on that that level. So you're not walking away a millionaire, right? Um, if you own one of these leagues, but you're also not walking away in debt most times, I would say. At, at least you're breaking even. Depends. If you're like a real small promotion that's like doing regional Texas stuff, then you you might be in debt a little bit or breaking even and then you know, you close after a bit. But if you're a long-standing league um, on that level, you're making some amount of money. There is plenty of room to do this still. There is is a ton of, of room, low barriers to entry because as we've talked about, what makes professional MMA so hard to get into to compete with a Bellator UFC, those guys, is the scarcity of the best fighters in the world. That's a huge competitive advantage for the UFC. And it's something where there's just a limited amount of them, right? There can only be so many top tier fighters in the world. That being said, once you start to move into the top of the fighter funnel, so to speak, at that point, there are a lot more fighters, a lot of guys coming up that haven't really proved them, proven themselves to be the best in the world yet or have the capability to make the UFC, right? This is their proving ground. This is where you separate the wheat from the chaff is, is in this type of area, which means there are a ton of fighters. Some will be terrible. Some will be great, but are all looking to just get wins on their record. That's a big reason why a lot of fighters, you know, You'll hear stories about fighters basically, you know, paying to fight their first couple professional fights because they want to get noticed. They want to get the wins on their record and then move up the ladder. These guys are not, I mean, ideally you'd love to make money on that scene, right? But like you don't expect to. It is not expected in any way, shape or form that you're going to make big money. And it's much more about, hey, you want to do this professionally? Great. We're going to put you in the promotion. We're going to see how you do. We're going to, you know, this is the proving ground. And if you continue to do well, then maybe you get to one of the bigger feeder leagues, right? LFA, Eagle FC, that type of stuff. And if you don't, you don't. But if you do get up there and then you win, right? I mean, we, we just saw essentially what was an LFA welterweight title fight on Contender Series, where the current... Walter Waite, title holder in LFA, fought another fighter from LFA. And the winner was, I mean, unless it was going to be a super boring fight, was almost certainly going to get a UFC contract. That's just how it works. But with so many fighters looking to be booked and to, you know, get their name out there, just about anyone can start an MMA promotion. Right? Again, don't know how much money you're going to make. But if you had, I don't know. If you had, uh, it's hard for me to, to gauge the costs. I sort of knew the costs back in 2018, 2017. Um, had some good conversations with a couple of regional promoters. I feel like they've changed drastically in the past five years, especially with everything that went crazy with COVID and inflation and all that uh, in the US anyway. So I, I don't want to spit out any numbers because I feel like they'll be pretty off in data at this point. But I mean, it, it doesn't take that much. If you have a, a sizable amount of savings, you could, at this point, certainly start your own MMA promotion. Um, now, with that being said, again, you're not going to make a ton of money. There's not a lot of people that want to deal with the headaches of doing that. But for somebody like Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal or Cowboy, it's their name that's selling. 
right? It's a, oh man, I want to go see Nate Diaz at his local promotion. Imagine that you are in some town, you're not in a huge city, right? Let's say you are in Temple, Texas, which is where, um, you know, about an hour or so from Austin, where I live. And Nate Diaz, Real Fight Inc., decides to host a show at the Belton Arena where LFA sometimes does shows. I mean, that's going to be interesting to me. Especially if Diaz is there, especially if he's taking questions from the media. And I mean, it's a little bit different, right? Because I'm media. But if I'm if I'm just a kid that loves the UFC or a big fan of Nate Diaz, and I can go to a local show, and mind you, the tickets for a local show are not like crazy, right? They're like 10, 20 bucks. They're not the UFC prices uh, that we've seen as of late. People, you know, talking about MSG ticket prices. It's nothing like that. And so you get to go have a good time and then maybe get your photograph from Nate Diaz. That is worth a lot to a lot of people. It's basically a meet and greet where you also get to see fights. And local man, especially in some of these smaller towns where I grew up in Illinois, are you kidding me? We had, man, we had two local MMA fights. Um, and, and it was, it was a whole thing. And this was at the, the peak of MMA. So it's a little bit different now. They wouldn't, they wouldn't host it now, but I mean, I think everybody in that college town, every male age 16 to 45 showed up. I mean, that place was packed. It was, you know, there's not a lot to do. <laughs> so when that comes through, it was like, oh man, this is something to do. This is cool. If Nate Diaz had been there, man, it would have been even more. And that's, I think, part of it because Diaz will get a cut of the profits, will be able to sell merch there, will, you know, do the whole shebang. There's a reason why all of these fighters are doing this. It's not that Cowboy or Jorge did this and all of a sudden they were like, oh, I just want to copy this. There's clearly a reason where they're making some money off of it. And the amount of work they have to actually put into it is unknown, right? I would not be shocked at all if Diaz shows up for a couple of events, uh, you know, kind of does some meet and greets, takes pictures, and then lets other people run the business and he just gets a cut. That's pretty sure that's how most of them work. Now, if he wants to be more involved with that, awesome, right? And I'm sure he has the option to, but if he wants to basically just set up a business off of his name, image, and likeness and promote new fighters, get fighters in his camp, right? Who will help him train and he'll be able to train, which is cross business opportunities. It makes all the sense in the world. He's one of the biggest names in the sport. There's no reason for him not to do this, especially with the barriers to entry being so low. So it's a smart move. Now where he could really capitalize here, and I think is kind of the big caveat to all this this is something that cyborg and at least i don't think cyborg was able to but i know masvidal and cerrone were not able to do when they launched the promotions diaz fights out his contract on saturday and then he fights in his first event he headlines the first event that will do numbers now, he's got to have some sort of streaming setup or something so that he can take advantage of that. But if he fights on the inaugural event, if he headlines it, then you're going to get a huge initial boost. Then you're going to get media talking about it in a much bigger way. You're going to get way more eyes on the product that will probably last for a while. How long? Hard to say. How many events? Hard to say. But if you plant that seed as well, like, man, Nate Diaz could show up and fight it on this promotion at any time. Yeah. And keep in mind, he'd be essentially fighting for, not free, but probably a lot less money than he'd get in the UFC. But let's say, hypothetically, you do the inaugural event, you set up Nate Diaz versus maybe a bigger name, uh, find a biggish notable name, 
in free agency and set it up for a stream at $10, $15 a pop, and then Diaz gets a major cut of it, there you go. That's where he can really capitalize on this. He is one of the few that can launch his own promotion and actually fight in it if he wants to because he is fighting out his UFC contract. That's a big deal. Because even if it's just to test the waters and see how much money you make and then get a boost to your promotion, that's not a bad thing, right? I, it's risky, I guess, in the sense that he could get hurt and all that. But if, if, you, if you pick the right opponent, Diaz comes out, looks like a gangster, makes good money on streams, and gives his promotion a huge step up for its launch compared to others. I I don't see too many downsides or risks to that. Biggest risk would be he goes in there and somehow gets hurt and can't fight anymore because it sounds like he wants to stay active as a fighter. But, I mean, hey, I mean, you could have Nick fight on the card too, right? Nick and Nate headlining in, a, in his promotion. There's no way that doesn't do solid money. There is no way that doesn't do pretty solid money. And here is the ultimate seed I'm going to plant in your head. If you've put up with my ranting for this long, I appreciate it. (laughs) But I believe it's in two years. GSP becomes a free agent as well. Now, again, that would be crazy in and of itself. But imagine, imagine either a Nick Diaz GSP or a Nate Diaz GSP fight in Nate's promotion through a pay-per-view, a one-off pay-per-view, and how well that would do. There's no way that doesn't do crazy numbers. There's no way. And yes, GSP will be old, and it could be more of an exhibition, sure, whatever you want to call it. But again, no way that doesn't do crazy numbers. We talked about how terrible Tito and Chuck was. Yeah, that's that was bad. But Nate versus GSP, Nick depends on where he's at and how he looks. But GSP looks phenomenal. And Nate versus GSP, you sell that for $49.99, you're going to get a ton of buys. And you're going to cut out the UFC and all the middlemen, and you're going to get a ridiculous amount of profit. Just saying. Just food for thought there. Let me know your thoughts on Diaz's promotion. If you're going to watch it, whether he fights or not, if you're going to watch it, let me know. Um, Or if you're interested in watching it, very interesting time. And Diaz has a lot of options, more than most in this type of venture. All right, so next we have to talk about the pretty big fight announcement between Jake Paul and Anderson Silva in boxing. Going to be October 29th in Arizona. Big deal. Very big deal for a lot of reasons. Um, We have seen Jake Paul try and fight a couple of dudes recently, Tommy Fury, and then I forget the name of the guy who was supposed to, who was supposed to step in, uh, had some weight issues apparently, and then was going to prove he was going to make weight. And then day of when he was supposed to fight Paul came around, he missed weight. That still is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Just ridiculous. Um, both those fights fell through. I think Tommy Fury would have been a pretty big fight for Paul the next step. But Anderson Silva is arguably more dangerous, I would say. Um, you know what? I'm going to go past arguably. I'm going to say is pretty much for sure more dangerous. Silva has looked very good since he left the UFC and went into boxing. Um I mean, he has looked, it's kind of nuts, to be honest, especially compared to his last couple fights in MMA. But even then, look, we've been down the road of seeing fighters way past their prime in MMA, continuing to fight and losing 
pretty handily, looking pretty bad. Silva never really looked like that. I think he started to look like that the most when he fought Hall. Um, but even then, when he was on that crazy losing streak, which, I mean, yeah, there's the Brunson fight. I'm not going to get into who won that. It was terrible either way. Um, but yeah, terrible losing streak, all that. But he was fighting killers pretty much the whole time, right? I mean, he was not fighting... No names. I don't think he was even fighting unranked guys. If I have to look, I'm going to look back at it right now. It, I mean, he was fighting legit people the whole time, and clearly he was past his prime, and he was getting beat by these guys. That no doubt about that. But let's look at his his last, you know, uh, his, his terrible one and seven and one stint, where he lost to Weidman the two times with. You know, his initial downfall and then broken leg. Uh, he beat Nick Diaz, but then he got the whole steroid controversy, came back, lost to Bisbing in a controversial-ish way because of the Herb Dean, again, just doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and, yeah, that was just a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, not to say Bisbing didn't win overall, but, I mean, yeah, that was just a ridiculous fight. Lost to Cormier, which, yeah, took that fight on almost – no notice, like four days notice or something, up at light heavyweight. That was nuts. Then he beats Brunson in the controversial one. Then he fights Adesanya, Cannoneer, and Hall. These are all top guys. And outside of the Hall fight, right, Cannoneer, he had a, uh, a knee injury that, that forced him out. But outside of, outside of the Hall fight, he didn't look like he was completely spent. Right, he didn't look like BJ Penn or Tito Ortiz or Chael Sonnen uh, or any of these older legends that have been in the sport and that have continued to fight. Where it's like, oof, like what is going on here? I mean, he didn't look like the Anderson Silva of old, of course, but he's also super old, <laughs> and it, it's not that shocking. He's forty-seven, man. I mean, he was taking these fights when he was in his forties. I mean, yeah, his later 40s. It's So that all being said, moves over to boxing, and he looks, you know, again, not going to win any boxing titles, but looks pretty solid. I mean, he beat Julio Cesar Chavez pretty handily. That's a big deal. I mean, Tudor Ortiz, well, yeah, that was, I mean, if you had anything that wasn't a knockout from Anderson Silva against Tito Ortiz, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and then a bra against Bru- uh, a, a draw against Bruno as uh, a random. I mean, that's not, he, he's not going to win any titles, right? As I just said. But for those of you who think Anderson Silva is clearly just in, like one foot in the grave, you're sorely mistaken. And Jake Paul is the type of fight where Anderson Silva could easily look very good and easily clout him. Now, it's also the type of fight that if Paul wins, I mean, that's a huge feather in his cap and it's a nice step up in competition where it's, you know, showing, okay, maybe like there will be a notion that starts to brew that maybe Paul is a legitimate boxer, can do these things. And again, it does perception. We've talked about this a million times. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not. If the perception is there, that's all that matters. If fans look at that and say, man, he beat Anderson Silva. And Silva just beat Julio Caesar, uh, Julio Chavez Jr. I mean, that makes a difference. It's all about fan perception. This fight will definitely be, I think, probably the highest Jake Paul boxing pay-per-view yet. Because Silva is a no- the most notable name he's fought against. And 
has proven he can still box right now. And you even have boxing pundits saying, man, this is a real test for Jake. This is a real threat. And that style of matchup where it looks like pretty good on paper, that's going to draw a lot of attention. And we've seen, we have seen Jake Paul be able to garner attention and draw pretty big numbers by fighting, you know, Ben Askren, who had no business in the box, boxing ring. Uh, Woodley, who, again, yeah, he had power, but he, he was no boxer. He was a wrestler for most of his career. Silva is a dangerous kickboxer, and yes, he cannot use kicks in this, but has proven pretty recently how good he still is. It's the right style of matchmaking. It's the type of matchmaking that had the UFC really wanted to keep Silva around and Silva would have been okay with this. You would have had Silva fight a bunch of unranked middleweights or lower tier middleweights, right? Like 13 through 15 and, and kind of be the gatekeeper there. Kind of what Arlovsky has done at heavyweight. Silva easily could be in that position right now if the UFC and he wanted to come to that arrangement. But he was fighting contenders pretty much all the way through. Hall was his lowest ranked opponent. And at the time, I forget what he was ranked, but I want to say top 10 or right outside the top 10. He is no Anderson Silva of old, but he is dangerous. It's a smart move by Paul as well, because with Tommy Fury dropping out and everything going on, there isn't a lot of... Not a lot of options for him where he could have taken a fight and it would have made a lot of sense other than maybe KSI, right? Because KSI beat Logan and there's that whole thing. But um, other than that, there's not someone there for Paul where, yes, you can make this fight. It makes sense. It, it still protects Paul by giving him someone that he could hypothetically beat and adds to the intrigue. But isn't a no name or just some random boxer so that people aren't going to care as much. It's a good business move because again, if Paul gets knocked out or he loses, so be it right. Then the quote unquote experiment is probably over. Maybe he tries to rematch or do something who knows, but if not, if he can get past Silva, it's a huge boost in the perception of his abilities, regardless of how true it is. And it gets more people talking. At some point, my guess is Paul is going to hit a wall, right? I don't know if it's going to be um, if he starts to actually fight some high-ranked boxers, or I mean, not high-ranked, sorry, some some real up-and-coming boxing prospects. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be he's going to fight some MMA-style boxers in their prime, right? Uh, that could probably give him a bigger run for his money, you know, one name that comes to mind that I'm sure has been on a lot of people's thoughts is Conor McGregor, but Conor McGregor is still under contract with the UFC. If he wasn't, I mean, that I think would probably be the biggest boxing pay-per-view since Floyd Conor. Um, and I personally would have Conor to win that pretty handily, but probably at some point Paul is going to hit some type of ceiling this is a way to avoid that while still giving him a boost. And it's the best option since Tommy Fury is banned with his Daniel Keenahan uh, connections and all that. So I like the call here. Um, if Paul loses, I think it's going to be hard for him to come back in some meaningful way, unless he does a rematch against Silva and then wins. Um, if he wins, I think it just elevates him to, the next step of intrigue and buys against whoever his next opponent is. Uh, Silva, this is probably going to be the most money he's ever going to make, including his UFC career. I, I think that probably is almost guaranteed, which is crazy to think about, right? But 47, Anderson Silva's going to make a ton of money through boxing. Um, 
yeah, just the way the economics work and just shows you the difference in the business models. There's a reason Dana White, you know, stopped Zufa boxing. There's, there's a big reason. And that's most of it, if not all of it. The other opportunity here for Paul is if he gets past Silva, that easily sets up, if he wants it, sets up an Nate Diaz fight. And that is another huge opportunity. I know Nate Diaz said something about maybe re-signing with the UFC. They'd have to throw a lot of money at him, give him a lot of leeway, I think. I, I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. Paul versus Diaz would also be gangbusters. And as long as Paul beats Silva, if I'm Paul, that's probably the, my, my next big pitch, for sure. And of course, Diaz would take it because, again, the amount of money he would get from that fight is nuts. So, again, we will see what happens here. Um, but I think it's a great call business-wise for um, Paul. I think it's a great call for Silva. I, I think it's good business all around. And I think, again, it's showing that substitution threat to the UFC and to bigger MMA works because... Even PFL, right? I can win a million dollars. True. But why would I do that when I can get a million dollars plus for one fight off of my name? Right? Anthony Pettis versus Jake Paul. How well would that do? How much money would Pettis make? Right? I, it's a lot of opportunity here for name value MMA fighters who are past their prime and not currently in championship contention or under contract. It's a big threat to MMA as a whole right now, given the way MMA's revenue breakdown is. So yeah, I mean, let me know your thoughts on the fight. Do you think that Paul can get past Silva? Uh, do you think Silva's going to clown him? Let me know your thoughts on the fight, how excited you are from a business perspective. Are you going to pay for it? Uh, if you're going to sail the high seas, obviously don't tell me that, but uh, directly. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you intrigued enough to watch this fight. That's what I want to know from you. All right, next up we have our quick hit section. Three quick stories I want to talk about today. First off, Ryzen. Um, the CEO of Potential, which is one of Ryzen's biggest and key sponsors, has been arrested on fraud charges. This comes after another one of the sponsors uh, for Ryzen was arrested on fraud charges and Ryzen was accused of match fixing and lost their Fuji TV deal. So Ryzen trigger events which were these separate events that were going on outside of the main Ryzen ones uh, have essentially been canceled because they were the potential was the key sponsor of that pretty bad break for Ryzen. Um, we talked about on the show before the loss of the Fuji TV deal was big, especially when you had tension uh, versus Takaru. Uh, it's still crazy to me that nobody picked that up to make the money that was there. But um yeah, it's it's another big hit to Ryzen. I don't want to say it's all coming apart, but I, this is a real rough time in the company's history. They've still got that awesome Adam Weight tournament. They've got a bunch of incredible fights. I don't know anything about match fixing. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, the people I've talked to who know even more about Ryzen have never said anything about that. I don't know that they necessarily would, but if they knew, but I don't think they know. Uh, if 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 that actually is happening. Um, either way, though, it's it's a bad time. It's it's a bad time for Ryzen. Going to be interesting to see how they pivot here because they need to win back public trust through PR and they need to make some big changes if they want to continue doing business, I would imagine, because Fuji was a huge part of their revenue and these two sponsors were also a big part of their revenue. So interesting to see what they'll do and how they'll take it. But yeah, just, you hate to see it. You really hate to see it. Uh, next, KSI, since we've been talking about Jake Paul, uh, KSI versus Swarms, which was like two guys. It were, it's a whole thing uh, where he fought two guys in one night or something. Did 230K pay-per-view buys. Now, I'm not one to talk about KSI or any of this stuff, right? Uh, but that number garners a look. Because, you know, we've seen Jake Paul do around that number two. I know Paul and KSI have gone back and forth, especially with KSI beating Logan Paul, that being a whole thing. Um, this shows you how strong the market still is 
for YouTubers, big YouTubers in combat sports. Um, that event, I didn't even realize it was really happening. And I saw one or two things. I was like, oh yeah, that's going to happen at some point. And then it did. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I didn't see much media coverage in the media that I follow, all that stuff. Did 230K pay-per-view buys. That's a big number. I mean, it's not crazy. It's not crushing. It's not like, whoa, but it's, it's reportedly, if, if those numbers are accurate, which again, you always take with a small grain of salt, that's, that's pretty nuts to be honest. Um, because it's just off of KSI's name. So again, KSI being a potential fight with Jake Paul down the line, especially since Jake has kind of proven he's the better boxer, I would say at this point, pretty handily of the Paul brothers makes a lot of sense. Makes a ton of sense. So I don't know. We will see. We will see what happens with that. But important of note, just because that dude is selling 230K pay-per-views basically on his name alone. Bodes well for Nate Diaz. Bodes well for some of these other MMA fighters that are coming out of contract. Francis Ngannou could be a big deal, right? We'll see. We'll see how it goes, but got to talk about that one. And then lastly... uh, Big shout out to the always talented Paul Gift, um, who talked about a Bank of America interview with Endeavor CFO. A uh, couple of notes here. He has a th- Twitter thread. Um, follow If you're not following him, again, you need to follow him right away. Him, Nash, and Cruz are must. Uh, if, if you don't like the format of show money, I, I guess I can understand it. I like that format myself, but I totally understand because it's just three guys kind of shooting the shit about business. Um, but yeah, you've got to follow gift just for information like this. So when asked about re-upping with ESPN early Endeavor CFO talks about continuity of content and ESPN helping the UFC go more mainstream, but then also gets into Amazon and other potential bidders. So wouldn't give anything away according to Paul. So that makes sense. We've talked about that, right? Amazon and other, it's going to be a war for media rights. I think that's pretty much guaranteed at this point. So we'll see who gets it, but don't expect ESPN to handily win. They're going to have to put up big numbers. And as we've talked about with the bundling and everything else going on with Disney, they may not want to. I mean, they'll they'll want to put up big numbers, but they may not want to put up as big numbers. Remember, ESPN and Disney almost bought the UFC. People keep forgetting that. Came very close to buying it and then... Disney CEO said, no, it wouldn't be part of our brand. Now they're licensing and paying media rights fees that are far more expensive. I'm sure they regret that decision. I am sure they regret not buying the UFC or at least making a stronger bid to buy it. So very possible they go all in and they're all about it. But there are going to be stiff competitors. So we'll see where that goes. Um, Another side note here is that... (laughs) Uh, CFO note just noted that the last earning call finally didn't have a fighter pay question. Uh, and when asked about if there's been any backlash from fighters, um, none of note. Oof. Yeah, that's interesting because again, we've seen a lot of fighters talk about pay recently. Um, bigger name fighters, Luke Rockhold, uh, Tony Ferguson, again, uh, lots of fighters coming out about fighter pay. It's yeah. I don't know about that, but Business as usual for Endeavor, right? That shows partially the disconnect where Endeavor is really thinking about their big long-term goals. And then also just the company line of like, yeah, no, we're paying our fighters fine. It's a couple people can play, but nobody's important, right? You've got to toe that line. You have to. You have to if you're Endeavor. It's a huge part of your revenue. You've got a ton of debt on the books with rising interest rates. The Fed talking about continually... Uh, raising rates to fight inflation, you have to do that. Makes all the sense in the world. Those are the quick hits for this week. Let me know if I missed anything, if there's anything you need to add. And yeah, we'll we'll get back to it uh, next week. I'm sure there will be more based on what I'm hearing so far, even this week. All right, last thing I want to cover on today's show, briefly, not going to go super far into this, but um, I think it's important given the backstage 
brawl or or whatever it is. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to call it a fracas because somebody brought in the word fracas this week and everyone's overusing it and it's crazy. Uh, but there was obviously some issues uh, during the press conference that was supposed to take place for UFC 279. You had Hamzat and Kevin Holland get into it and then Hamzat and Nate's team and a bunch of people backstage brawl, whatever. Caused a lot of controversy, right? Um, not the first press conference that did this <laughs> um, this past week. If you follow pro wrestling or you follow me, I apologize. I've been glued to that because that's just a wild situation too. But it got me to thinking about an important topic we probably don't cover enough in media, especially on the business side of things, is controversy and drama in this type of stuff, right? It it sells. It, it piques people's interests. Um, I love Robert Whitaker. He's one of my favorite fighters. I've made that pretty open. Uh, I can definitely be biased towards him and recognize that I can be biased towards him in particular instances. Dude is as nice as they come. Seems like an awesome guy. A uh, big fan of Stipe as well. Same reason. Super nice. Uh, you know, just it's a firefighter in his free time. Just seems like a grounded, smart dude, right? Um, they don't sell pay-per-views. If you go back throughout the history of MMA, aside from George St. Pierre, I can't think of, and Silva is super nice too, right? So at the height of their times with Silva and St. Pierre, we're kind of highlighting their skills. They moved with St. Pierre moving the needle the most, but aside from those two, um, and especially recently, it's all about drama. I mean, heck, what really got the UFC into being profitable was the ultimate fighter and then having the drama and the reality shows going and all that stuff, the rise of reality shows. There is no doubt that this backstage press conference at least piqued the interest of some casual viewers. You already had Nate Diaz against Chimaev, who is a big mover in terms of numbers on social media and and viewership that we can track, but that I'm sure only heightened it. And the question is why, why does that make it such a big deal? I mean, again, I'm not going to go super into it, but if you follow pro wrestling at all, or you follow me, we just saw all this AEW crap happen, which was wild with CM Punk and all that other stuff. And all that stuff was trending on Twitter. It was getting more mainstream attention, uh, and viewership on sites, on media and news sites than, than things have in a long, long time. Same here. It wasn't, this isn't as crazy because honestly, the UFC, this happens more often, I think, but this definitely uptick in traffic, uptick in social media, trending, all that stuff. Why does that happen? Well, I want to go back to a professor at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania, um, Jonah Berger. And this guy, I mean, he has been around for a while. Uh, he released a book in 2013 called Contagious When Things Catch On. I don't know that you want to call him like the guru of viral information, all that stuff, but he was he was a prominent, prominent business school professor who was very good at catching trends and explaining why certain information went viral in the rise of social media and all that stuff. And he talks about in an article you can find on his blog from 2013, but it's still relevant is that controversy can be very good for business. Uh, does two things. One, it makes it more interesting, right? Again, we talk about, I, I just talked about Whitaker and Stipe when they do their post-fight press conferences or press conferences or what have you, I mean, they're pretty well-spoken, relaxed, professional. It's fine. It's whatever, but it's kind of business as usual. And we see a ton of that in pro sports. We see that all the time in any of the big four. Uh, we, we see pretty much that's the standard that most people are held to. So when you have something that deviates from that standard, it becomes more interesting, right? It changes the flavor, so to speak. 
that that's just really what it does. I mean, if you think about some of the, um, you know, if, if you think at some of the, the biggest sports stories, Malice at the Palace for NBA, right? Um, you, you had Odell Beckham Jr. in football, his controversies when the fights with Ramsey, all that's like, that's what draws the attention. That's what gets people looking. I mean, this, you had Aaron Donald uh, with the helmet against, I forget his name or who they were practicing with and all that. I want to say, I don't remember, but either way, it's, that's really what draws people in because it's out of the norm. And so that's, that's part of it. That being said, too much controversy is a bad thing, right? Um, Jonah rightfully points out, like, you know, if you, there's a big difference from being edgy and doing something that's a little bit out of the norm saying, oh, that's cool. And then like going into a random group of people or a random party and just talking about gun rights or abortion rights or things that might make people and having a very strong opinion, being loud about it, right? That might make people very uncomfortable. Um, If you think about, I hate to use the pro wrestling example, because some of you hate it, but if you think about AEW, CM Punk, Punk, if there is no backstage fight to that whole thing, he just goes on a tirade uh, on people and to the point where clearly his boss was uncomfortable. It was a whole thing, uh, even in pro wrestling, in the press conference. And that's that's too much. Giving it a little heat, a little shine. Okay, that might... Again, what's going on between what's going on backstage? What's going on? All that stuff. But if when you hit a certain level, if you give too much controversy, it can cause your audience to run away, right? And it depends on your brand. That's the other key piece of this. Um, as as Jonah points out, if you're Mountain Dew in the early 2000s, you're trying to be edgy right? Code red, all this like skater stuff. You're trying to be edgy. So it's okay to maybe go controversial ad, go a little bit over the top. And then if you have to pull the ad, that's fine. It'll still be online and it's not a big deal. If you're JC Penny, you're, that's not your brand. Your brand is not to be controversial and edgy. No, but JC Penny is not like, man, check out these crazy lingerie and this crazy, you know, shirts that just have explicit writings on it. That's hot topic stuff. No hot topic. Try to be edgy. JC Penny. No, not so much. Um, depends on your brand and your audience. And when you look at the combat sports audience, something to keep in mind, and this is just one sample size. Um, it's from, uh, the world's greatest fan engagement study by Bob Chiosic, I think back in 2019 talks about combat sports fans and why they're valuable how they're growing at the time. This is all pre-pandemic, so I'm sure they've changed a little bit. I would imagine only increased. But a huge part of what makes combat sports fans valuable is that their digital and social media consumption is massive. Their Them being active on social media is huge. So not only are they consuming it, but they're also on social media consuming it a lot. And then they're also... Um, they're also very much promoters, which we've talked about this a little bit in terms of net promoter score and things like that, right? Um, if you've been in the tech world, it's a huge it's a huge part of, of software as a service and everything where you want to have a score where a customer loves you so much, they're going to go out and tell their friends like, hey, you need to use the service because that's generally the best type of marketing that you can ever have. And that goes across multiple industries, right? If you're getting information from a source you view as trusted, um, like a really good friend, a family member, all of that, and they say, hey, you've got to buy this product or you've got to use this service, you're much more likely to believe it than an ad on TV where they're touting like, hey, this is great because you're going to assume already to a certain degree, they're just you know, they say they're the best in the world, all that stuff. Of course they are. They have to. So you take it with a grain of salt immediately. If you hear it from your best friend or your mom or someone where it's like, okay, you know, they're saying this is a great product. I trust them. They know about this, this, and this. Okay. That's huge. It also talks about how MMA fans are the largest cross brand of, they watch more than just MMA. Now, I know that's going to be heartbreaking to, uh, <laughs> a lot of the diehard UFC fans who are like, I only watch UFC. I don't watch other sports, but the majority of combat sports fans also watch other sports. 
they watch the NFL, they watch, uh, you know, Olympics, all this other stuff. I mean, percentage of boxing MMA fans, according to the survey that watch the NFL is 86%. NBA is 72%. MLB is 59. Huge. It's, it's a very big deal. Um, so you've got a audience that constantly watches all sorts of sports, huge promoters where they're going to go out and say like, Oh, you got to check this out. Or, Oh, this is wild. It's very active on social media, both consuming and posting. If you're an MMA promotion, all these signs and points would say you probably want to lean into more controversial stuff because something like the backstage fight that will happen at a UFC 279 press conference that will get posted all over the place. That will suddenly become trending on Twitter. So people who don't even follow combat sports are going to see that in the top 10 of Twitter and be like, what's going on here? Et cetera, et cetera. It's free promotion. And it's the best type of promotion because it's again, coming from word of mouth. That's why there are no fines, right? Dana White said he's not going to find anybody. It's like, this is what we do. He kind of sheepishly, you know, shrugged off that question. Um, that's why there's no fines. That's why there's no issues. It's That's why it's only just been a constant buildup. It's why McGregor, who throws a dolly into a bus, doesn't really have any ramifications. And this is a massive pivot from what the UFC was trying to do before they were sold, right? I think before they had a true understanding of their fan base and had the analytics to back that up. I mean, you look at what happened with John Jones and he was stripped. It was like, here's a code of conduct. You violated it. All this stuff. They were trying to be that brand, that NFL, that NBA style. And they realized after looking through the data, that's not the type of fan base we have. I mean, some of them are, right? I would say I would classify me and some of the other media members I know um, and some friends I know that are more that style, right? But the majority of fans are very much all about the drama and they love the controversy. So why not lean into it? Why not have Conor McGregor talk a bunch of trash and yes, he's doing all this stuff. And, oh, we don't really care. Here's a bunch of money. He's going to fight Dustin Poirier. We're going to sell 1.7 million pay-per-view buys. Oh, uh, Nate Diaz threw water bottles at Conor McGregor. A big, big deal. Hamzat and Kevin Holland and Nate Diaz's crews got into a giant fight and it caused a ton of controversy. Ah, whatever. It's what we do. It's a huge, important thing you need to look at because the UFC is just going to continually lean into this controversy. They're not going to stop. And there's data backing up why. This is the MMA fan base. This is what sells. Controversy is good for business here. Food for thought, just something to think about. Let me know your thoughts on all this. Are you all about the drama? Do you love the McGregor's and the Joneses and the Adesanya's making the comments they do? Uh, do you love something like the backstage fight where it's like, oh my gosh, like this is a does it does it keep you interested? You know, I can't imagine it doesn't for a lot of you, but you know, do you, let me know your thoughts on this because especially from you guys who are watching this type of podcast, I'm curious to see where you guys come down with a lot of this information and whether you agree or disagree with it. All right, guys, well, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you joining me. Let me know your thoughts and comments on all this stuff, especially the controversy one. And if you love the drama and all that stuff, uh, some of you guys' favorite fighters, very curious to see your thoughts on that one. Uh, and hit me up again with any other ideas or topics you want me to cover. Really appreciate you guys as always. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, bell notification, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, what have you. Love you guys as well. And until next time, get money.